All that separates us from the grave is the breath God breathed into us. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a human being. Genesis 2.7 That is all we are, heaven, mere breath. But it is God's breath. Life is holy. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 262, Hevel and the Meaning of Life. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. It is one of the most heartbreaking scenes in all of literature. So heartbreaking that an American version of the play changed the story in order to give it a happy ending. King Lear discovers his beloved daughter Cordelia, whose love he has failed to appreciate, suddenly dead before him, and he cries out. Why should a dog, a horse, a rat have life? And thou no breath at all. Thou'lt come no more. Never, 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 never. Pray you undo this button. Thank you, sir. Do you see this? Look on her. Look, her lips. Look there. Look there. Lear thus ponders human life, animal life, and life itself. And then at this moment, his life itself departs. And another character, Kent, says that all should allow Lear to depart this existence of which he has grown so weary. Vex not his ghost, oh, let him pass. He hates him much that would upon the rack of this tough world stretch him out longer. The scene in its own way brings to mind some of the murmurings of Kohelet, Ecclesiastes, who himself compares animal life and human life in his Meditations on Mortality. Chapter 3, verse 19. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts, even one thing befalleth them. As the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. All go unto one place, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. So Kohelet says, and then immediately after, he does add a sentence about the immortal spirit of man, reflecting in the next verse, Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? This reflection upon man's immortal spirit is then stated more explicitly in chapter 12, verse 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Man, then, has an immortal soul which goes to God, but still Ecclesiastes compares all physical life on earth, noting how, at a certain point, every life's breath disappears, and he continues his reflection with the seemingly mordant refrain, Hevel Havalim, saith Koheleth. Hevel Havalim. All is Havel, which we have chosen to translate in our first interpretation of Koheleth as vanity of vanities, saith Koheleth. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Lear, among other things, is, of course, Shakespeare's reflection on the fragile, finite nature of life. It's for this reason that Harold Bloom has argued that it was Ecclesiastes and related texts, rather than Job, that served as Shakespeare's inspiration for the story of King Lear. After all, Bloom argues, the play was composed not in the Elizabethan age, but in that of King James I, who was known to admire the figure of Solomon. And there is also the fact, Bloom points out, that Lear begins with the splitting of a kingdom, which Solomon's reign also ultimately brought about. Bloom writes that, quote, Job's sufferings have been suggested as the paradigm for Lear's ordeal. I once gave credence to critical commonplace, but now find it unpersuasive. And Bloom also adds, I suspect that a different biblical model was in Shakespeare's mind, King Solomon, end quote. 
noting that he refers not to the young King Solomon, but to the King Solomon reflected in Ecclesiastes and elsewhere, a man mourning mortality itself. Interestingly, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs has also compared Kohelet Ecclesiastes to Lear, explicitly citing the scene with which we began and noting the emphasis in both Lear and Kohelet on mortality embodied by breath. But for Rabbi Sachs, Kohelet's meditation ends, unlike Lear, with a profound understanding of joy, one which is linked to an interpretation of one word that appears throughout the book. Let us again review the opening reflections of this biblical book. As we saw, Kohelet's meditations center on his description of physical life on this earth as Hevel. Vanity of vanities, saith Kohelet, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. The reflection, then, is on mortality and finitude, leading to the conclusion that all is Hevel, according to one interpretation, all is vanity. Again, chapter 2, verse 9. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked at all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Therefore I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. This, then, is one way of translating Kohelet. Hevel as vanity, life for Kohelet, as embodying meaninglessness. This was one alternative, which we offered in our previous episode of Bible 365. The problem, however, is that later in the book, Kohelet himself seems to describe life as not vain or meaningless at all. Still referring to existence as Hevel, he seems to find in this description of life not a source of despair, but rather one of joy. Thus chapter 9, verse 7. And here we will keep the word Hevel untranslated. Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart. For God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garment be always white, and let thy head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy Hevel, which he hath given thee unto the Son, all the days of thy Hevel, for that is thy portion in this life, and in thy labor which thou takest under the Son. Verses like these led her by Sachs to reflect that, quote, the book has seemed to many to be obscure, even self-contradictory. At times, Kohelet seems miserable, at others, joyous. He is capable of hating life and loving life. His prose reads like a jumble of non-sequiturs. It's hard to say what the work as a whole is saying, end quote. For Rabbi Sachs, the issue is how we understand Hevel. And the book, he argues, is only difficult if we continue to translate Hevel as vanity. Quote, the trouble lies in the translation of the key word that is the theme of the book. The word is Hevel. The King James Bible translates it as vanity. Other translations read it as meaningless, empty, pointless, futile. None captures the real sense of the word, and as a result, we miss the point of the book. In Hebrew, all words relating to the soul, the spirit, the life force, have to do with the act of breathing. So does the word Hevel. It means a short, shallow breath. That is Kohelet's fundamental insight. 
Life is vulnerable, fragile, brief. It is a mere fleeting breath, yet it is all we have. Whenever I read Kohelet, or Sachs continues, I think of the words of King Lear at the end of Shakespeare's play, when he holds in his arms his dead daughter Cordelia. Why should a dog, a horse, a rat have life, and thou no breath at all? End quote. Hevel, then, is breath, and as Rabbi Sachs pointed out elsewhere, it is no coincidence that the first death in the Bible occurs to a man named Hevel, Abel. Quote, Abel represents human mortality, a mortality that comes less from sin than from the fact that we are embodied souls in a physical world subject to deterioration and decay. All that separates us from the grave is the breath God breathed into us. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a human being, Genesis 2.7. That is all we are, Hevel, mere breath. But it is God's breath. Life is holy. End quote. So Rabbi Sachs writes, In other words, Kohelet, calling life Hevel, which, according to him, should be translated not as vanity but as breath-like, is reflecting on life as a fragile, temporary breath, which originally inspired his mordant meditations that seem for Rabbi Sachs so akin to the passage in Lear that we cited above. But, Rabbi Sachs argues, Kohelet ultimately allows the very brevity of human existence, the very breath-like nature of life, to transform the way he sees reality. Kohelet discovers in the Hevel breath-like aspect of life the very grounding of appreciating life. This is how Rabbi Sachs interprets Kohelet's later perspective in the book, reflecting how the king suddenly understands what would happen if our lives reflected physical immortality. Quote, We would never experience joy or exhilaration. We would feel no need to have children or to leave a mark on the world. We would never even love. Lacking nothing, we would feel nothing. A book that never ended would not be a book. Music that went on forever would not be a symphony. All meaning takes place within a frame. Birth and death are the frame that give meaning to life. Understanding this, Rabbi Sachs continues, Kohelet's whole scheme of values is transformed. He now knows that happiness lies in simple things, end quote. Or as Rabbi Sachs adds, if Kohelet originally finds no fulfillment in all that he seeks to do in life, it is, he later realizes, because, quote, he was chasing after substitutes for life instead of celebrating life itself, end quote. The book of Kohelet, for the traditions of many Jewish communities, is read on the holiday of Sukkot, and we must understand why that is so fitting. The Talmud describes the Sukkah, the hut, that is the centerpiece of the holiday, as a dirat arai, a temporary dwelling, one made to last only seven days. Which means, as many note, that the Sukkah embodies the very fragile and finite nature of our physical existence. And it is this fragility that makes life so precious. The Sukkah is temporary, and so truly is the very physical life that we live. Paul Johnson's History of the Jews concludes with a statement that can be captured by Kohelet itself. Quote, The Jews were not just innovators. They were also exemplars and epitomizers of the human condition. The Jews were the emblem of homeless and vulnerable humanity, but is not the whole earth no more than a temporary transit camp. So, Paul Johnson writes, and Rabbi Sachs concludes his own meditation on Kohelet in a similar sense. Quote, Because life is short, every moment is precious. That is the knowledge most of us are only taught through pain or crisis or loss. Work, love, life itself. 
These are the sources of joy. The rest is gift wrapping. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.